is humbled when everything goes exactly the way you want it to. Humility happens when everything goes wrong, when everything falls into the hole, when everything that you're trying to do falls apart. That's where humility happens. And that's why it's something that in a culture like ours, where you get your life put together, you put on a good show, you make sure everyone knows that you got it all together. It's why humility is in short supply in our culture. But Jesus defines it as what true greatness is. True greatness is found in humility. The world we live in favors success and wealth as its definition of greatness. People strive to reach the highest rung of the ladder, get the fanciest car and the biggest house, and put on the show that all is well. This doesn't leave a lot of room for humility, though. In today's message, Pastor Daniel will share what God's definition of greatness is. It doesn't match the world's by any means. Humility is what our Creator favors and what He rewards. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 18 with part one of his message, Greatness Equals Humility. You know, I love the fact that for each one of us, we like to say here that we're all in process, that we're all in the process of growing. We're in the process of becoming. And I don't know about you, but there's certain lessons that in the process of being in process... That no matter how many opportunities you have presented to you, you end up realizing that sometimes it doesn't feel like you're all that far down the road in this one area. Confession time. They say confession is good for the soul. It's not always good for the reputation, I guess. But when it comes to what the Bible defines as greatness, I find in my own life that I'm still in the first grade of. I find that on the things that God's word tells us are the things that he values the most in his kingdom, I still kind of feel like I'm getting held back a couple grades, that I don't quite have it together in this regard. And what's amazing is that I'm saying this and you're all like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on with Fusco, (laughs) right? But what's interesting is that in all the things that our culture values, no one would even necessarily notice this thing. And that's the thing that's so weird about what I want to share with you today. Because our culture values one set of things, and then God's kingdom, there's another set of things that are valued. And the thing that we're going to talk about today, that God defines as what greatness truly is, is something that not only do I feel like I'm sorely lacking in, but I'm pretty sure that most of you are going to say the same thing. It's like, man, this is not something that I have down. This is not something that I actually have grabbed hold of. Now, I know you're all wondering, like, okay, so what is it? But we'll let the Word of God teach us. So let's open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be taking verses 1 to 5 here in this Real Talk series. So Matthew's Gospel is the very first book in what we call the New Testament. Of course, chapter 18 is in between chapter 17 and 19. And if you're part of our internet campus, we are so excited that you're with us here today. And for those of you who are part of our internet campus, I want to encourage you, if you visit with us every Sunday online, start to invite your friends to join you 
as you're joining us here at Crossroads, but from the comfort of wherever you find yourself today. And don't forget, open up another browser window, Matthew chapter 18. We're going to take verses 1 to 5, and I'm going to define greatness for you. Actually, Jesus is in these verses here, and it's shocking, and it's one of those things that you would never think that this would be the way that Jesus would define greatness. Look what it says in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them. And he said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, verse 4, Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Jesus is so crazy that way, isn't he? Because Jesus teaches that greatness equals humility. Which for me, if I were to say in my spiritual life, in my life walking with Jesus, the thing that I find myself praying about the most, the thing I say, Lord, will you work this into my life? It's this idea of humility. It's not my strong suit. Now, I'm not encouraging you to pray for me for humility either. And I do that because the effective prayer of the righteous avails much. And if all of you guys start praying that I'll be humbled, then I'll get humbled. (laughs) And I want to be humble, but it's true, right? It's like, People say, they say, you know, pray for humility for me. And then all of a sudden something happens that's so humbling that you don't know what to do. And you're like, well, I don't know what's happening. It's like, well, we asked, you asked for prayer for humility. So this is what you get. Because humility is only born in the areas of life that don't make a lot of sense. Nobody is humbled when everything's working. Nobody gets humbled when everything is perfect. Nobody is humbled when everything goes exactly the way you want it to. Humility happens when everything goes wrong, when everything falls into the hole, when everything that you're trying to do falls apart. That's where humility happens. And that's why it's something that in a culture like ours, where you get your life put together, you put on a good show, you make sure everyone knows that you got it all together. It's why humility is in short supply in our culture. But Jesus defines it as what true greatness is. True greatness is found in humility. We're going to unpack that over the next, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes together. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, now you got to love the disciples because they remind us of us because they're always missing the point. Isn't it true? It's like, you know, you try so hard to be like on the ball, you got things done, but we just get sidetracked so easily and so simply. And so Jesus had just told his disciples that he was going to die on a cross. And so he was going to be gone. And so right away, the disciples start jockeying for position. If Jesus is going to be gone, who's going to be the next CEO? Who's going to be the CEO? Who's going to be the CFO? You know, who's going to be Jesus's right hand guy? In Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 9, it says that the disciples were disputing as they were walking, and then Jesus challenged them and they fell silent. In Luke's gospel, same account, in Luke chapter 9, it says that Jesus discerned their thoughts. See, what's interesting is their question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's not the wrong question, but the motivation behind the question is wrong. See, it's a good question, Lord, 
in your kingdom, who's going to be the greatest? That's the right question. But they didn't really want to know what makes greatness. They were jockeying for position. And so what does this teach us? My friends, don't compete. Don't compete with one another. See, Peter and James and John and Thomas and Nathaniel and, you know, all these different, and Judas, they they were all trying to jockey for position. They wanted to make sure that they did the things that they would be the guy who's on the top of the pecking order, the guy at the top of the organizational chart, the guy to whom everyone was going to look to. They all wanted it. But you know what happens when we begin to compete for position? We begin to lose out on the purposes of God's kingdom. Because who lands where is God's job? Our job is to be faithful right where God has us. See, Jesus is not advocating laziness or a lack of drive. He's advocating that we make sure that wherever we are, we are trusting the Lord and we are hoping in him. See, the disciples had the right question with the wrong motivation. And we spend so much time in competition with each other. We spend so much time being unethical or lacking integrity to take the next step. Our culture is full of it. How many of you at your job has felt that somebody has undermined you in order to leapfrog you in position? Because our culture says, do what you got to do to get to where you got to get to. And that is not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say that. And so the disciples' main mistake that they're making here is they're in competition with one another. Do you remember in one of the Gospels, we find out that James and John, their mom went and jockeyed for position for, with Jesus. Will you let my son sit at your right and your left hand? And there, Jesus says the same thing. He says, don't compete with one another. And really what happens is when you see one another as competition, you're fighting the wrong battle. Because within the family of God, we are on the same team. You know, me and my bride, Lynn, we talk about this a lot because one of the dynamics that go on in marriage is, you know, and and Satan loves this because he wants to divide marriages. Why? Because marriage is the picture of the world of Jesus and his church and the faithfulness that Jesus has with his church. And when marriages dissolve, it breaks down what is meant to be a natural picture. And so what Lynn and I find is that in our own marriage, that Satan starts to kind of get in be like, well, they're not looking out for you. They're not looking out for you. And then you see yourselves not as a team, but you see yourself fighting amongst yourself, jockeying for position. And there's nothing worse than when people on the same team begin fighting one another because you know that a team that is divided in the locker room will never win on the playing field. And this goes on not only in marriages, and I'm sure for all of you who are married, you're dealing with this in some way, but this also goes on with nuclear families. This goes on within churches where all of a sudden people start to set up camps and infighting and all these things. And really what goes on is... Satan wins because grace brings people together and Satan divides. Satan's job is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to bring division, right? We live in a broken world, so we all experience this everywhere, don't we? Like, I'll never forget, I was a young pastor and there were these two young couples and and they were both having a hard time getting pregnant. They had a hard time conceiving. And these two women, when they were sisters in this and they were praying together, 
praying that God would bless their young families with, with children. And I'll never forget, all of a sudden, one day, we found out that one of these couples was pregnant. And it was something that as a young baby church with just, you know, whatever, 20 people there, we were all like in this thing together for these families, you know what I mean? And I remember we were so excited that somebody said, I want to give a praise report. You know, it was a little church, so it was like we were able to have these open times where people could share whatever. We would do that here, but we'd be here all day, (laughs) you know? And this one girl said, I just want to praise God because, you know, finally after all these years, you know, we've conceived a child, we're going to have a baby. And everyone started cheering except for the one girl who was her prayer partner and she left the sanctuary crying. Now, I understood it as a person, but I thought to myself, what a bummer that she couldn't enjoy that moment with her friend. She'd been praying for that. And it was funny because after this woman came back, she said, I'm so sorry. I, I found myself in competition with you. I'm not supposed to be. It was just like after the service, keep this girl a big hug. She's like, I'm not supposed to be in competition. I'm supposed to celebrate with you. Will you keep praying for me that we would have? And sure enough, three months later, that other couple conceived and had children and it was beautiful. But what happens is, is that when you're in competition, you miss out on rejoicing with someone when they're rejoicing. Because you start to see yourself in competition with them when you're really not. But you're one family in Christ with Jesus as our head. But are you making the mistake of being in competition? Don't compete. This reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, where the Apostle Paul says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, listen to this, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You get that? When you measure yourself by other people, it's not wisdom. Why? Because you are you and they are them. And in Christ, God's got different plans. And the competition that goes on within the body of Christ, it undermines the reality of the kingdom. Because they come with this question, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And then Jesus begins to speak to them. And look at what he says in verse 2. And Jesus called a little child to himself, and he set him in the midst of them, and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. My friends, instead of competing, we need to be converted. You and I need to be converted. See, because in this reality of conversion, the word in the Greek language, it literally means to turn. It's got similarities to that word repent, which means to turn back. See, what it's saying is that there is a way the world works, and if you are a follower of Jesus, God wants you to turn from this way and turn to a new way of being. But you know what the problem with turning is? We have to turn. That's the problem with it. See, Jesus doesn't turn us. He prompts us and we have to turn ourselves responding to his promptings. And what I find is that we are so used to living in a competitive society. We're almost inbred for competition. And Jesus is saying, no, no, listen, if you want to be great in my kingdom, guess what? You need to turn. You need to turn away from this script that says compete and and it's dog eat dog and you need to one up somebody else. And Jesus says, no, I want you to turn from that completely. I want you to be converted and I want you to be like one of these little children. And and you see this series, Real Talk, remember I always said a question comes and then Jesus answers a question to get to the heart of the matter. 
See, the question is, is, Lord, who gets to be the greatest in your kingdom? And Jesus says, no, no, listen, listen. You see this kid, this little child? Yeah, I want you to be like him, not like you. How cool is that? See, Jesus is, he's radical. He's graphic in some ways. It's a total reversal of the human value scales and systems that we live in. A child in that culture was of zero importance. I mean, it's even like today. When was the last time you and your family are going through a big thing and you grabbed the three-year-old and said, so what do you think about that? I just think about that, like my little Annabelle, you know, she's so cute, she sucks her thumb, she's just adorable, and like me and Lil be walking through something, be like, Annabelle, what do you think? Cake. <laughs> I know it's awesome, she's brilliant, you know what I mean? Because sometimes the only way to fix something is to eat a little cake, amen? <laughs> because kids think about the world differently. And so we need to be convert. We need to turn. We need to, in some ways, we need to turn away from being like adults and we need to think like children again. And, you know, Peter said almost the same thing in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent, which means to turn, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, That's why we're doing baptisms today here at Crossroads after second service. Because baptisms, see, when you turn from living your own life and you turn to Jesus, right? Then Jesus says, I want you to follow me into the waters of baptism. Now, you know why that's important? Because when you go into the waters of baptism, it's like you go under the water and you come out again. It's like your old life dies with Jesus on the cross and you get buried in the tomb. And then when you come out of the water, it's like Jesus being resurrected from the grave. And the reason this is so important is because Jesus is asking each one of us to live our lives by a different script, a different packaging. See, our world says, be in competition and live your own life and don't ever back down. And then Jesus says, no, no, no. You want to have eternal life? You need to die to yourself that I can that God can resurrect a new life in you. And when someone follows Jesus into the waters of baptism, they're saying, my life identifies with this crucifixion and resurrection, which is a whole different way of looking at the world than saying, I'm going to always succeed. I'm always going to be the most handsome, the most kind, the wealthiest. I'm going to get whatever I want. And see, and it's not meant to be a one-time thing. It's meant to be a descripting of one way of living and a rescripting of a new way of living. Now, listen, right now, right here, I realize that in a church the size of Crossroads, Crossroads is not monolithic. You know, it's not like everyone's in the same spot here. There's some of you who are here who you put your faith and trust in Jesus a long time ago. And even walking with Jesus for a long time. And then there's others of you who you just put your faith and trust in Jesus just maybe recently. There's some of you right here right now, today is the day you're going to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. And there's others of you who are here, who you're here and you're like, there ain't no way I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus today and probably ever, but I'm here. So we have a large span, but this reality of not competing, but being converted and turning and letting Jesus write a new script for our life, this is really important no matter where you find yourself. Because if you're here today and you've already had your, put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you've had your faith and trust in Jesus for a long time, this reality of death and resurrection, this idea of not jockeying for position, but being unconcerned about social status, like a child, is powerful, isn't it? 
Because no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, it's really hard to do that. We've had this here. And look, I'm going to use an example. And I'm not saying that in this, me or the Crossroads leadership did everything right. Because we don't always do everything right. But what I have found is that when somebody believes they belong in one layer of leadership. And they get asked to step aside. And then they leave. It actually proves that they shouldn't have been in leadership in the first place. And I get, sometimes people get hurt. I have to make decisions. Sometimes people get hurt. I get that. And I have to live with that. But the reality is, is that if you can't serve from any position, then you're really not a servant. Does it make sense? Now, I say that because I realize that for each one of us, that's the hardest thing to hear in the world. Because I know people, they love Jesus. I love Jesus. I've been walking with Jesus for almost 20 years. It's really hard not to expect things based on the status that I believe I deserve. But then Jesus shows up and he says wild and crazy things that only the king of the kings and the Lord of lords would say. And say, no, 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 listen. You need to be like a child. You need to be unconcerned about that because we serve at the pleasure of the king and that's our only function. Does it make sense? So if you've been here today and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, always be careful not to allow this idea of status start to drive your decision-making. Because I'm here to tell you if, you, if you're like a child, you realize, like my kids realize that certain decisions are not theirs. They may say, Dad, I don't understand the decision. Can you explain it to me? But they realize it's not their decision to make. But what happens when you get older, everyone thinks it's my decision to make. And I didn't like that decision. It's like, well, if it wasn't your decision to make, humility would dictate maybe you don't understand the decision. You see how it works? Now, I realize I say that in this context as somebody who I have to make lots of decisions. And pray for me. And pray for our leadership. Because oftentimes we have to make decisions that are not easy. And, and they're imperfect situations and imperfect information. And you're like, Lord, what are you doing? And you're like, Lord, how do I do this thing? But no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, it is so easy to lose sight of this, isn't it? It's like, well, if I'm not in that position, then God is calling me somewhere else. It's like, really? So if you're a long-term follower of Jesus, how many of us are got this thing nailed down about this? Be converted and don't be concerned about the position and the perks that come with the position. Now, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, God wants you to be converted too. See, when I meet people who don't, yet believe in Jesus, they always have very extensive arguments about why they don't. And I know that because I was one of those people. I didn't grow up in a Christian home and I remember starting to hear the gospel and, and I'd be like, oh, well, this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And really what it boiled down to is I don't really want Jesus to have to die on a cross for me because that actually says that I needed someone to die for me. But Jesus' encouragement is as important for you as it is for a long-term follower of Jesus because he's saying, look, there's nothing more proud that says nobody can take the punishment for my mistakes. I'm going to take it on my own. Jesus is Pastor Daniel today told us what quality defines the greatness of Christ's followers. Humility. Easy, right? 
Humility is one of the more difficult qualities to develop and hold on to in this world. But it's a quality Christ himself exhibited again and again throughout his life. We could base our lives on his, remembering that our humility sets our own selves aside and elevates God's glory and blessings for others. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is that this year we launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. We would love to invite everyone to come and join Crossroads Southwest Portland on Sundays at 10 a.m. We're growing, and honestly, not just in Southwest Portland, but all over the country and the world as people join us at our online campus, 9, 11, and 1 p.m. or Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. on our online campus, crossroadslive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will talk with us about why salvation is such a blessing in our lives. We have quite the mess to take care of when it comes to ourselves. We're sinful and it's futile to try to fix it on our own. We just have no power to do so. Only death on the cross can clean up our mess. Jesus offers salvation free of charge. Why wouldn't we want to take advantage of this incredible gift? You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Real Talk. Until then, may God bless.